I've got a year and a half left on my contract, and then that's when you need to retire. You're safe for oh, now, but in 18 months, I'm going to start <laughs> just cutting the legs out for money. Right now, I'm all bouquets, man. Did you give me two years? Just, <laughs> you know, you could get a bridge, you know, a, a bridge job between sure. them, and then, then it's yours, you know. <laughs> I'll go coach. I'll go coach football at Southwest for a little while, and then we'll come back. Shut up and sit down. What's up, Wisconsin? From the Inside Wisconsin Studios, plural, there's two. My name is Trevor Thomas with every single week, my friend John Anderson. What's up, John? Yeah, I, again, I'm in the field office, but uh, listen, I'm here and the flannel shirt extravaganza continues. I'm very it's excited. Um, it's well, it's just like the other ones. It's just a different color, but that's good. You got a thing. <laughs> I totally love it. It's awesome. Uh, I was watching some horrible movie today with Travolta, a Travolta with the shaved head. I feel like you've got you're channeling that now. It's I a am. good look for you. Thank you know, you very much. you're not up too bad. And I love it because after a couple of a couple of um, uh, inside Wisconsin issues, we're going to finally talk about the Green Bay Packers. So as you see, I broke out, you know, one of my good sweatshirts for this. I'm not, I like I, it. I don't have a lot of flannel, but I do have a lot of hoodies. And so this one, the Packers, despite it's a new one too. Uh, but we, despite how that season ended, um, yeah. which I believe, what's the right word? Massive disappointment, heartbreak, Awful. and sadness. <laughs> uh, uh, we will have great things to talk about when we bring in uh, Wayne Larravee here momentarily. But it really was, right? It was. We were so close. It was right there. Uh, it was all set up. And then that, uh, that, that damn Tom Brady, the greatest <laughs> living American, comes through and screwed it all up. You know, you and I were talking a lot during that game. And I, I was concerned for you as a Wisconsin guy and a Packer fan and a Packer owner right over your right shoulder since yep. your stock, right? And I wondered how hard it was to go on Sports Center and talk about that. How do you just flip that off? Yeah, not hard at all, oddly enough, because you just do it so many times. And the other thing, I do tell people this. I got, I, I got over crying over my teams and that sadness when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13, 18. It, it just doesn't affect you. You know, what What does affect you in terms of how you feel for the people involved there? And I don't know uh, 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 a ton of the players, right? I've met Aaron a couple of times. We're not close. Um, um, I've interviewed guys before uh, within that, within the team and those kind of things. But I know some people in the organization. But what it comes, what, what you hate to see, the problem that you have that you see in this business that I've been in now for 30 years is, is this that opportunity just doesn't come that often. And it's amazing that they that, that Aaron Rodgers got into that game five times. Um, it's amazing that he's gone back, you know, the next year. But you just think, oh, it, it, it even if they're set up, right, you think, oh, they look great. They've signed this guy. You know, Aaron Jones is going to be back um, in the fold for a couple of years. And so all those, and, and all those stars are aligned, but it doesn't take much to shake them out. Here's an injury, right? Aaron breaks a collarbone, yeah. and now it's – so you wonder how, you know, you just you hate to squander those opportunities because there are not that many. And I think that's why you find 
uh, years ago, I did a, a, a I was doing a, um, it was the, the Wisconsin Sports Awards. It was the very first one that Greg Carmazin had uh, um, organized down there. And it was the year after the Packers had won. So because of the timing, we were still celebrating their championship, but the next season had passed. And I'm there with him and uh, Aaron Rodgers, and I think it's Jared Bush and and uh, and um, the linebacker, Andy Hawk. Um, AJ uh, Hawk. AJ Hawk, excuse me, AJ Hawk. And, and the appreciation they had the next year having not won of just how difficult what they had done the year before was, right? You come yeah. through and in all that joy and all that happiness, all that celebration, you don't always think, oh, that was hard. Um, I mean, you know that, but it's not till the next year and all of a sudden you don't win that you go, yeah, wow, what we accomplished is spectacular, is amazing. And to still being trying to duplicate that is, you know, don't know how many shots are left, so it was hard. Well, 13 total, right? And the last one, of course, had the guy on the radio airwaves here in Wisconsin. They still play it, I believe, as we go into every single Packer game on the radio here in Wisconsin. Wayne Larrabee saying the Vince Lombardi trophy is coming home. The, the Green Bay Packers are world champions of football. The hair stands up on my arms right on cue. I cannot get enough of it, and I am overjoyed today to talk to the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larrabee. Shut up and sit down. The voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larrabee, joins us here inside Wisconsin. Wayne, thanks for joining John and I. Nice to be with you guys. Uh, wow, voice of the Packers. Um, that's a pretty heady title, right? Tell me what kind of public trust comes with that. <laughs> I don't know if the public trusts me at all. That would be for them to say, not me, but... Uh, no, it's a great honor. It's been great to do over the t last 22 years. We've had an incredible team to follow and franchise. And the thing that uh, my partner, Larry McCarron, always says about Packers radio is that it matters. And radio doesn't matter in every NFL market. It matters in some and it matters in many, but it doesn't matter in every one. It certainly matters um, in Packerland. Why is yes. that? I, I think people have grown up with it. Um, you know, people have been uh, – there is a certain – maybe it's the ownership factor. You know what I mean? People feel they, they bought into the team, literally in some cases. Uh, it's, it's a local, small-town type of situation. Uh, the NFL plays in. It's the smallest market in the league. Um, but nonetheless, people have a great affinity and feel – uh, for the team, and I think that carries over into the uh, the media that follows the team, both uh, print and, and digital, along with the uh, radio broadcasting. So let's talk about that ownership group for a second, right? What a unique setup here. The Green Bay Packers are owned by, well, I mean, John Anderson. Look at uh, what's behind him. I believe that is a piece of stock there, there over is. your there right yep. shoulder. So when owners like fans are involved, uh, they know where you come from, where you've been, what you're doing. Wayne, you came to Green Bay after the 1998 season and been here ever since, but you came from uh, the South, from Chicago. Yeah. What was, what was that like? I mean, how did you make the transition from the team that we hate the most, Vikings are a close second, to, to Green Bay? What was that like for you? Um, well, for me, it was something that I had always said in, in the past that I would do. I, you know, when I started my career, uh, there were two teams I followed closely as a kid. And uh, growing up on the East Coast, I followed the New York Yankees and the Green Bay Packers. And 
I grew up in the 60s, so I followed the Lombardi Packers. I loved the green and gold colors. I thought the G on the side of the helmet was the most unique um, uh, emblem I had ever seen, uh, most unique logo. So I was really, I really loved the Packers and followed them all along. When I got into broadcasting, I said, you know, the two jobs, if I ever got a chance to do either one of them, I would have to take a shot at would be um, the Packers or the Yankees. If I ever had a shot, my career went off into a football mode. I thought I'd be a basketball broadcaster. I am not. I moved into football <laughs> and it went that way. And so, um, you know, the Packers were always a situation. That I always said to people that, you know, if, if the Packers job ever opened up, if Jim Irwin decided to retire one day, that's a job I'd be interested in no matter where I was. Jim Irwin came in 1969, so it's from 69 to 2021. Now, we've had two guys. We've had like 10 head coaches. There have been two broadcasters. Um, well, you know, it's interesting, John, about that. Jim yeah. didn't take over play-by-play till the mid-'70s. Gary Bender did the Packers yep. for about a three-year period in the early-'70s there before he went to CBS. Jim was, was doing, I believe, some uh, color commentary. Jim was also the uh, – uh, announcer in the press box of the stadium for many years in the 60s and including the ice bowl and he's, he had a, many stories to tell about that over the years but you know it was interesting Jim had a tremendously long association with the team including um, I gotta figure what what do you think about 20 almost 25 years or thereabouts as play-by-play guy yeah Gary had it Gary had I think like 70 to 74 and then he he eased into that maybe you can tell like that's not an easy role to switch, right? From analyst to to play by play as a guy that that does play by play in different things. Um, those are distinctly different skills. Yeah, and it's funny though if you go back, um, your analysts in in those days weren't necessarily players mm-hmm. uh, or players. Um, they were a lot of times. For example, if you listen to the broadcast, and we have it. Um, of the Ice Bowl, uh, the local broadcast, Ted Moore, the play-by-play man, he was the uh, voice of the Packers for the Lombardi era. And uh, he had a newspaper guy next to him who was doing color commentary. Now, it mm-hmm. wasn't analysis like we're used to today. It was a different kind of perspective. But um, very interesting that you mentioned that because, yeah, it, it was in the early 70s. It wasn't until we got into about the mid-70s uh, that we started saying, okay. And, and I remember my first year of doing Chiefs play-by-play in Kansas City, 1978. Um, I had a uh, one of the TV anchors was doing color for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he happened to be a big personality, Bruce Rice in Kansas City, and and they had him doing the color commentary. When Bruce passed away untimely, um, in the middle of my first season, they brought on uh, a guy by the name of Bill Grigsby, who had done baseball but was a personality in the market and very tied to the Chiefs. Uh, so, you know, it, it wasn't until, you know, after that, I want to say the late 70s, that we started deciding that, okay, your analyst has mm-hmm. to play the game somewhere. So uh, I mentioned public trust. We'll go back the other way then because you come up from Chicago. And so I grew up in Green Bay and I was the world's – I liked Walter Payton, which you want to talk about a sin that my favorite player <laughs> played for the Chicago Bears, right? But obviously you know Walter. So like I didn't think that was a terrible guy to like. Um, but I got unmitigated amounts of crap, and I still do to this day. Um, so how long did it take before people sort of trusted you, or did you get any flack from listeners because, like, well, that's a bear guy? Yeah, you know what? It's it's interesting. Fortunately, it was right before 
we got into real social media before Twitter, before, uh, you know, uh, Instagram and Snapchat and all these other things that are out there, Facebook. It was before that. And so, you know, I've often thought that, boy, if, if the social media thing had been whirling, because you have to understand, I was getting it from both ends. I was getting right. it from people in Chicago <laughs> and from people in Wisconsin. And fortunately, we didn't, it didn't reverberate except on maybe radio talk shows. Mm -hmm. um, it didn't reverberate like it would today with all the social media. So I was fortunate in that regard. But, yeah, I got it from both, on both sides. So every team – whether it's the Chiefs or the Bears or the Packers or the Yankees or any sport, always says they have the best fans, right? And that's clearly only true here in Green Bay. Uh, <laughs> compare and contrast, would you, Wayne? I mean, what is the difference with the fans here and the Packer following versus where you've been with both Kansas City as well as Chicago? What is it about here? Um, I think it gets back to what we started talking about. I think there is a real feel of ownership, a tangible feel of ownership. There is there is not an owner to to you know put forth your uh, grievances with for this for the most part. In, in other words, there's no Jerry Jones here. Uh, there's not even a McCaskey family here. Um, you know, the Packers are have a corporation. Uh, Mark Murphy's the president and CEO. Um, you know, but th the fans do own the football team. They, they really do. Um, and in that regard, there's a that's a little bit of a difference from other fandoms. And I, I think what that spawns is it doesn't cut down on what fans expect or the criticism uh, that they might cast out. But there's a real feel here that. Um, Hey, we can criticize the Packers, but if any of you people from the outside start talking negative about us, look out. <laughs> so you are, we've named some of those jobs that you've had, and they've all been in the Midwest, but you, you, you grew up East Coast, Emerson, right? I work with a ton of guys and have over the 20-some years here at ESPN that were Emerson guys. You talked about the Yankees. How is it you've never migrated back? And I realize we can't always be choosy. But the question I get all the time is like, John, you still live in Connecticut. Do you miss Wisconsin? How is it you've never kind of migrated back this way? Yeah, that's an interesting point, John. I, I always felt, and you can talk to, if you knew some of my college friends, that they would tell you that I did exactly what I said I was going to do. I felt that when I, this is different, the way play-by-play -play people come up through the ranks today. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't come up through the ranks by doing play-by-play. -play. They come up through the ranks as, producers and then their talk show hosts and then they get into some play-by-play -play, and uh, maybe their company is strapped for cash and so all right we'll just give this guy these games here and let him do it and then eventually they they do enough games and they move up the ladder but um, it was different for me I always felt that I would have to leave the northeast and head out to uh, the midwest I thought would be the right place to go work my way up the ladder um, now I got an incredible break back in uh, I was still in college and my um, going into my junior year in 1975, I got an opportunity to basically take a semester out of college and go down to Pampa, Texas, in the Panhandle, about I don't know, 30, 40 minutes northwest of Amarillo, and do uh, Friday Night Lights, the Pampa Harvesters. It was phenomenal. It was mm -hmm. a great opportunity. I did the football play-by-play -play on Friday nights. Fifteen thousand people would fill the stadium. It was a town of 25,000, and the two tallest buildings in the town were the grain elevators for the Jimmy Dean Sausage uh, Production Company on one side and the press box of the uh, Pampa Harvesters uh, Stadium on the other side of town. And it was just phenomenal to go out, go down and be able to do that. 
And then I went back to school and finished up. And, and by the time after that, I had some real commercial experience behind me. I was able to get a job doing Iowa Hawkeyes football coming out of college in, in 1977. And there's something to that, right, to have that kind of – it's not just experience, I tell people, is there's some seasoning that goes with it. You just got to see some things. And it's a great place to go make mistakes right there. I have on occasion here had people say to me, you know, we've got seven games on the 4th of July. Would you like to go do a major league game? And I'm like, you know, I'm not sure major league baseball on ESPN, even if it's on the deuce, is where I want to start my play-by-play career. But we have a lot of people that jump at that because that's the way to go. And I've never quite felt that. But you go to those towns sometimes where, Trevor, I don't know if you've never been out. I I shot uh, high school football in Oklahoma for 100 years. And you go to these towns like Wayne talks about, and you don't even have a map, but you just kind of look in the sky to see the light. So you know where the stadium is, and you drive right to this thing. Um, But I think some of that gets missing. And my guess is, you know, when 40 years into this thing, that there are things that happened to you in that job that you learned or relate that still happens when you are in a press box and calling a game in the National Football League. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, and, you know, I've often said this, play-by-play is not something you can really learn out of a book. I mean, you can learn some of the things not to do or, or how to set up a play or that type of thing. But I think you really need to do it. It's a repetition type of thing. And it's very much a performance medium as well. And as as is anchoring, I mean, there's no question about that, especially the way you guys go back and forth with different partners uh, on the set, on TV. Um, Play-by-play is very much like that as well. So um, I think it's repetition. And that's how I always felt coming through the business. But that's not how it's done today, as I mentioned. And I think in that regard, we have a different style of play-by-play that is not not so much tied to what's happening with the game, but tied to other factors as well. We are inside Wisconsin with the voice, some call him the dagger, of the <laughs> Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larvey. More with Wayne and John and myself in just a moment. We are inside Wisconsin. Shut up and sit down. Helpful critiques, ideas, great stories, people we should know, the great bar in your town, the fish fry you want to know, the fish boil, anything that you want to reach out to us with, we are happy, we are here. You can be the inputters. We're here to listen. Shut up and sit down. Continuing on with our guest, Wayne Larravee, voice of the Packers, two decades now, two decades plus as he rolls into this thing. Uh, Talk to me about sort of the line of truth. We realize that you are employed by a team. And your listeners are very much Green Bay Packer fans, so you need to serve them. But at some point, you need to also say, well, that pass interference call is correct, even if it means they're not going to be happy with you. Um, And I think that's one of the things that when I listen to broadcasts all the time, that's the thing I listen for is can you can you go ahead and and be excited for the team that you're that you're rooting for or or covering? But at the same time, don't don't give me a, a picture that is false I need to know what's going on out there and I need to have and I think you and Larry are terrific at that Um, but it's still if you could discuss sort of that that's that's a fine line to walk sometimes when it comes to something specific like that uh, there's no question and Larry and I uh, both feel the same way and have felt this way from day one um, that we're not going to try to fool the fans we're not going to um, you know if there's a call that goes against the Packers and it's a legitimate call I don't know how many times uh, I wish I had a dollar for every time it happened over the last 22 plus years uh, that Larry McCarron has said, hey, I hate to say this, but that was a good call that went against mm-hmm. the Packers. 
That was a legitimate yeah. call, that kind of thing. I, I think the other thing is, I mean, you can exercise a certain amount of analytical criticism, but I, I think where people take exception to this, John, and I've done a lot of regional work and some work uh, back in the day um, nationally with ESPN and Big Ten stuff and all that, um, you, can, you can be critical. But I think where people get upset is when you continue to harp at the same thing. You've made the point. You keep going back to it and back to it mm-hmm. and bringing it in, which a lot of analysts and a lot of play-by-play guy people have done in the past. I think that's when people take exception to it. So I'm broadcasting for the Packers. People should know I want the Packers to win. Absolutely. But I, you do know this. Um, you know, Kevin King blew that coverage uh, at mm-hmm. The end of the first half of the NFC Championship game. That was a that was not a good play. Everyone knows that. We can't go say, well, Kevin got you know Kevin. Uh, we can't make an excuse sure. for it. You know what I mean? And and that's okay. Um, I, I think fans know that that uh, as long as the fans know, the listener knows that you're hurting along with them. Uh, you have to be somewhat analytical in those cases in that situation and be able to uh, to explain what happened so they understand what happened, especially those who don't have a TV in front of them, and go on with your broadcast. You don't come back and keep talking about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You make a point, go on. So we've mentioned his name a few times, Larry McCarron, The Rock, and who you've been doing it with since 1999. Kind of a fun story, Wayne. I started working in radio broadcasting in 1999, and I ran the board for Packers games on WBEV out of Beaver Dam. So me and your voice have spent a <laughs> lot of time together and I've spent a lot of time with Larry's voice. Right. And <laughs> it wouldn't, well, let me ask you this. this is, I'm just curious. It wouldn't take a guy long to, to search the, the best calls by Wayne Larry on YouTube. And you can spend a half an hour just reminiscing about how many games that you've called and how many moments, but you can't hear too many moments of you calling a pretty big play without rock in the background going, yes, yes. <laughs> Tell me about that. Cause as a fan, we love it. Right. But it's yeah. got to. How does that not throw you off? I'm just curious. <laughs> you know, I got used to it in Chicago. Um, oh. You know, now I grew up on the East coast where announcers don't root for their teams. Um, and even my Yankees announcers, when somebody hits a home run to win the game for the angels, you know, sometimes John Sterling, I, I don't know, uh, uh, sometimes, John, are you, are you with us or against us? <laughs> you know, but, um, and, and I, but believe me, I love John Sterling and Susan Waldman. They're my guys, so to speak. Right. That's how you get with local radio people uh, with teams. And I didn't realize that when I left Chicago. I didn't realize it was any big deal that I would leave uh, the Bears and go somewhere else. I, I didn't really think about that. It wasn't in, in my mind to think that way. But it, it was, and, and, you know, people have kind of explained to me and um, that, you know, people become, after a long time, become tied to your voice. It becomes synonymous with the team. It's their memories of what happened with that team and driving along and, you know, going maybe uh, somewhere on Thanksgiving morning to from one house to the next and listening to the game or coming back from God knows where and Upper Peninsula and heading home after a long weekend that kind of thing, you know, you become synonymous with it. And in that regard, you know, um, I think if it's spontaneous, it's fine. But I remember this Mm -hmm. when I went to Chicago, okay, uh, in 1985, WGN had secured the broadcast rights once again, this time from WBBM. And WGN decided we're going to have, we're going to put together a new broadcast team. 
So they hired me to do the play-by-play from Kansas City. Nobody in Chicago knew me. They hired Jim Hart, who had just retired from the NFL. And people didn't realize Jim Hart grew up in St. Charles, Illinois, suburb of Chicago. Yeah, so for him, it was very natural. But everybody in Chicago knew him as the quarterback of the Cardinals. So they sat there, and, and Dan Fabian, who was the program director at the time, and, and a real genius as far as putting broad, sports broadcast talent together, he has an ear for it. He's one of the uh, the most gifted people on this planet for understanding what sounds right and what should be uh, what a broadcast should sound like. So he said, "Okay, here we go. We've got this Larravee guy. Nobody knows him. We've got this Jim Hart, and they they all think he's still a Cardinal. How are we going to make this broadcast Chicago? This is 1985, mind you. This is before Mike Singletary and Otis Wilson and the '85 Bears took off, right? So who's the quintessential Bear?" still playing. None of those other guys have really come to the fore yet. Um, the quintessential bear, unless it's Gale Sayers, is Dick Butkus. And so he calls out, to, uh, he heads out to Malibu, California, where Dick still lives and lived mm-hmm. in, he's an actor. And he went to uh, Dick and he said, listen, come in for the games. We don't need you to prepare anything. We don't need you to do any deep analysis, but you're Dick Butkus. So what we want you to do is react. React to the play, good or bad, and, and give it a Chicago signature. And and he would growl. And he would, you know, he could he played the role perfectly, even though he was tuned in a lot more than people thought. He knew mm-hmm. what was going on. He was, you know, but he was an actor and he was able to pull that off. And it was uh, the whole three-man booth broadcast with the ex-athletes next to the play-by-play guy was based on the Washington Football Club broadcast of that era with Sonny Jurgensen and Sam mm-hmm. Um and, you know, and, and that was really the broadcast he based it off of. But he he got Dick Putkus in there, and that gave me and Jim Hart a free pass. Oh, mm-hmm. that was Chicago's broadcast. Of course it was. I, uh, I did a Walter Camp Awards banquet. I did it many, many, many years. But in one of those, Dick Butkus was given uh, uh, an outstanding American award. And I had written a Dick Butkus joke and I was sitting next to him uh, during dinner and he was fine. You know, how we do? And he was pleasant enough. Um, and so now I've got to introduce him and I have this joke and it's just sitting there. And I look over at him and I turn the page and I didn't have the guts to say it. I just let it go. I'm like, you know what? He's really, you know, he's one of them. I'm like, you know what? I just, I'm like, I don't think right now he's ready for the chuckle hut. We'll just get him up here. We'll give him the trophy and we'll call it good. I've got to tell you guys this story because this is interesting. You know, Hub Arkish, Pro Football Weekly, yep. used to work with us. And, you know, this is, I don't know, we're 88, 89, somewhere around there. Uh, we used to pick up, especially for the Green Bay game, we would drive up with Hub and uh, Hub and I would drive up. We lived close to each other in the northern suburbs of Chicago. So we'd drive up. But, um, you know, when Dick was working with us, we'd stop at O'Hare and pick him up. He gets in from L.A. around midday. We'd pick him up. We'd drive up to Green Bay. So we're driving to Green Bay one time, and we're talking and kind of reminiscing about football and, and that type of thing. And Buck just looks over at the stadium, and he says, you know, I could have played here. I, I, I would that I would have liked, loved to have played mm-hmm. And Hub Arkish, the quintessential Bear fan, all of his life, I mean, he almost drove off the road. He dropped his feet. He couldn't believe what Dick Buckus was saying, that he could have played for the Packers. Could you imagine, though? He was recruited to Illinois. You know who recruited him? Probably Nitschke. Ray Nitschke. 
Yeah. Chicago kids. And Nitschke recruited Butkus to Illinois. And, and uh, you know, then Jim Grabowski and, and Butkus were the stars of that Illinois team that went to the Rose Bowl in the mid-1960s. And Jim became a running back for the Packers, Chicago kid also. So, I mean, it was interesting to hear Butkus say, you know, I could have played. Because what he was all about was football. His point was, all I cared about was playing football. I didn't yeah. care about being in a big city. I didn't care about speaking engagements and radio and TV shows or commercials or any of that. I just wanted to play football. And Green Bay, he felt, would have been the quintessential market to play football. Wow. It would have worked. They would have had to move him on the, uh, out to the outside. He, and he would have done it. He would have been Dave great. Robinson on the other side, and, and, and they all move on. It would have been great. Can so, you imagine, though, that that would have been Dave Robinson, Ray Nitschke, Dick Butkus in the linebacking court? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that would have worked. You know they are they are they are they're already together and they're already together in Canton. We could have had them together there yeah. in Green Bay. You talk about radio and the fans and, and the people you broadcast too. But this was a distinctly different year as you look down in Lambeau Field and on TV. It's glaring to all of us watching. There are no fans, but on the radio, right? That that is harder to tell. How did that challenge your broadcast this year? Just to not have that ambient noise, not have that energy in the stadium. Well, you know, they piped in ambient noise, but that's it what it was. was. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they did it the same thing for TV as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the TV cameras, I noticed, focused a little bit more on the field um, than rather than the empty stands. But, you know, the thing for me is, is that, uh, you know, so often a big call, you play off the crowd with the call and the way you enunciate it and certainly the inflection you use. Um, the hardest thing for us to do, and I've seen it done a lot with college basketball and even pro basketball now, the announcers are not there. They're um, it, nice remote. Dan Dockage is in Indianapolis and Jason Benetti's in Chicago. And, you know, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, hey, Bill Walton's in San Diego and Dave Pash is in Phoenix. So, you know, the hard part about that is you're trying to recreate that, trying to to get the feel for that. And I think they've done a great job. Announcers have done a great job in general of pulling that off, but it was really difficult to do a radio broadcast in a hallway at Lambeau field on the away games. That was a tremendous challenge. We had two big right. models. One was of the, uh, the raw television feed. Okay. And, and believe me, I did television for 25 years in the big 10. I didn't realize how little you see on television until I started to try to do a radio broadcast. Off. Sure. How little you see. You see very little on, on television. And um, the other thing was that we had the all 22 as the other monitor. So it's a wide shot of the whole field. Um, and you had to look at both. You had to, you know, you the wide shot, often you couldn't tell who was in the backfield or who the wide receivers were. So you had to go to the television monitor for that. And then you go back to the big uh, feed on the snap of the ball, the all 22 to call the play because you could see the yard line where the play was going to. Mm -hmm. Sometimes television is focused in so close that you can't tell where the play was. And as soon as it's over, they go to some hero shot. They go to a facial shot of somebody. They yeah. go instantly to something else. You don't even know where the ball ended up if you're watching just on TV. So I, I really think, and, and it's all a style. I mean, um, the Fox um, A team, it, it depended on what team you got. We, fortunately, we got a lot of Fox A team on Packers games. They did a, they do a great job of, of getting the play finished. Um, mm -hmm. you know, other, the lower level broadcasts don't 
do it so well. There aren't as many cameras on the broadcast, that type of thing. So it's all a matter of the way the game is cut. But for me, I had to go from one monitor to the other, and it was really difficult, and you'd miss something. You certainly, I, I certainly would miss something uh, along the way. Well, Wayne, now you know what it's like when everybody in Wisconsin would w rather listen to you and Larry on a delay on TV <laughs> instead of listening to, with all due respect, to the A-talent from Fox. We will wrap it up with the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larravee. In just a moment, we are inside Wisconsin. Shut up and sit down. Helpful critiques, ideas, great stories, people we should know, the great bar in your town, the fish fry you want to know, the fish boil, anything that you want to reach out to us with, we are happy, we are here. You can be the inputters. We're here to listen. Shut up and sit down. All right, so we'll have more with Wayne here momentarily. Take a quick break because we like to do a top five on this program. And Trevor, why don't you give the people today's topic uh, that you have come up with that's sort of obviously a nod to uh, our discussions with Wayne and the Green Bay Packers. You and I talked about all the amazing games that we've seen at Lambeau Field over the years, and we'll do that top five list uh, maybe if we have Wayne back on, you know, sometime closer to the season. However, I love the moments that we remember most at Lambeau Field or, or with the Packers. And so I want to do our top five Packer moments that may or may not have to do with the game. And honestly, right. I'd love to see your comments. You, the listeners and the viewers yes. of Inside Wisconsin, post them send, in the comments below. Yeah, send them. Where can we send them? Where can people chime in with their top five moments? You can send them to info at InsideWisconsin.com or you can send them to us individually if you want ja at insidewisconsin.com yep. or trevor at insidewisconsin.com but go ahead and post them in the comments too all right what are the top five moments yeah at lambo or or uh with the packers in general all right john you go first this week okay top five packer related moments they may or may not in my case be lambo field because i took out all the games right that's a separate list my top five list is separate all right so here's the first one is uh i got to host I went down to play in the Lombardi Golf Classic in Milwaukee, and I got to host the post-game uh, party award ceremony with Jim Irwin, where I find out he, too, is the University of Missouri grad. So two Missouri grads, two Wisconsin guys. We're hosting. It's Jim Irwin still there, and it is the year after Max McGee has passed away. So most all the, the great living Packers are still there. There's Bart Starr. There's Jerry Kramer. Jim wants to get started. And he's, it's, there's a din and there, everybody's having cocktails and Jim wants to get started. And the Packers, the 60 Lombardi Packers are down the table and they are making a ruckus. And finally, Jim looks down and he looks at Bart and he goes, and so Bart gets up and he looks at him and goes, hey, we're getting ready to start. And the place went. And I thought that is amazing that this was 20, 2008, 2010, 2009. So this is right. This is. 40 years out of their prime, and they still answered to that dude. Got it. When Bart said it's time to go, they straightened up, and they went We're to done. go. And that's when I looked down at that table, and I said, I want you to know, just like you guys, I played for Lombardi. And they looked at me with these inquisitive stares, and I thought, well, Lombardi Junior High School. Uh, but they didn't, they didn't <laughs> see that as the equal thing. All right, second one, quicker, uh, is Rich McGeorge. When I walked home from Kennedy Elementary School, and we'd go back to my house over on Beamert Street and up Rosalie. Um, is it Wiesner? I, there was a duplex that we all were told that Rich McGeorge, the Packer tight end, lived in. Okay. So we used to always go and we'd be brave and we'd ring the doorbell to see if he'd come out and say hi. 
And in all the years he was there and all the years I went to Cal, he never did. And then we realized, well, of course, they have practice at three o'clock, but it took us a while. <laughs> so number four was always the, 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 the anticipation that I was going to meet Rich McGeorge when I went and rang his doorbell at this duplex. Uh, number that three actually happened. That was a couple okay. years ago when I got to go back uh, with ESPN and do NFL Live for two days during training camp as the backers celebrated their 100th season. So that, that was amazing. That was an amazing thing to be there, to be a part of that with Desmond Howard and, and um, Tim Hasselbeck and Adam Schefter. And then we had guys like Dave Robinson came on. We had uh, Jerry Kramer who came on, who, by the way, if you go back and look at the tape, I called Mr. Kramer uh, because I went to school with his son, Dan. So everybody was knew him as Mr. <laughs> Kramer, right? So here I am, I'm 52 years old or whatever. And I look at him, I go, uh, we get done. I get the end, I go, Mr. Kramer, thanks a lot for joining us. And I got back <laughs> in the truck and the producer goes, you realize you just called that dude Mr. Kramer? I'm like, well, that, that's who he is. Um, number two, which was one of the great privileges of my broadcast career, uh, was I got to present Leroy Butler um, at his induction into the Packer Hall of Fame. Amazing. Wayne was Wayne Larravee was the MV uh, was the MC of that. Uh, but I got uh, Leroy had asked me if I would come and um, present him into the Hall of Fame. And that was an amazing evening. It was terrific. He was he was graceful, uh, gracious, and he was well spoken. And he was you know, had the crowd on their feet and and both in tears and for all he did, because I will put him up there with Brett and, and Reggie White and Leroy Butler changed all the Packer fortunes. The things we Forever. experience today Absolutely. are those three, right? Those are the guys that are the foundation of that. So that was three. And then number one, I don't know if you remember who Leland Glass is. Oh, here we go. I'm just telling you. Number yeah. 46 for the Packers. He spent two years with him. Uh, Leland Glass is rookie year. He was drafted in the ninth round, uh, 1972. Okay. Uh, uh, he, would, he started every game for the Packers at wide receiver, right? Caught, I don't know. 14, 15 passes, not a ton as a rookie. Um, but we had high hopes for Leland Glass. And so in the summer of 73, as an eight-year-old, uh, for about a week and a half, he rode my bike down from, from the locker room down to the practice field. So that would be number one was Leland Glass, number 46. He only, and then he was gone after that. He played two seasons. He got replaced by John Staggers. Um, and he, but he went to Oregon. And he played with Dan Fouts, was his quarterback, and uh, Bobby Moore a.k.a. Okay. Ahmad Rashad, was the running back there with the Ducks. So, so that's it. We got the Lombardi Golf, Rich McGeorge's, door, uh, Rich McGeorge's doorbell, the 100th season for N going there with NFL Live, Leroy Butler's Hall of Fame presentation, and then the great Leland Glass, who's now 70 years old but caught 26 passes in his career for the Packers. So real quick, out of this, you grew up here in Green Bay. When you come back and you see Lambo, you have season tickets, you go. When you grow up here with that pretty much in your backyard, does it lose anything on you over the years? Or because of what you do and all the places you get to go, does Lambo still have that amazing appeal for you? Um, it's different. I was such a sports fan as a kid, right? That still, yeah. like even now, um, on occasion when my family and I, we drive to South Carolina, uh, and you go through Charlotte, I just, I'm in awe as you go by the stadium in Carolina, um, which was Bank of America. I don't know what it is now. Or yeah. But so those things still always are crazy. I remember we went to Florida one time on a family vacation. I'm 10 or 11 as well. Had to be at least 11 because the, the Bucks didn't come till 1976. And we drove by their stadium and I was just like that. Right. Yeah. The thing is, so I still feel that way with Lambo now. But the thing is, you kind of get used to it. You kind of drive by it every day like it's the Statue of Liberty, 
um, or the Grand Canyon. Yeah, you don't and, notice it every day. Right. And and tell and for the longest time, it was sort of this kind of green bucket of bolts, right? It was like every other stadium. It was just this big bowl that was there that, you know, God bless the Hogards who built it. And it was like, I tell people now, when you go back, it's actually a tourist attraction. It's a neat place to go see. It is worthy of a visit. Where before you'd go by, it was a little like a little like Clark, Clark Griswold. Hey, kids, look. You know, Grand Canyon. Uh, <laughs> there it is. Frozen tundra in August. Uh, yeah. But now it is worthy of it. You know, it, it always was if you if you had a, a sense of history to go there and see it. Um, but now you're like, wow, you can literally it's worth making a pilgrimage when you go back there. That's cool. And now Town is amazing and everything yeah. that just goes with that old whole area. All right. Here's yeah. my top five list. Let's go. Of, of Packer or Lambeau moments. Number five, return to Town February 7th, 2011. So remember, return to title town happened when we won the Super Bowl 31. Yeah, they had to do it again. And uh, me and uh, 72,000 others got out of work that day and filled Lambeau and welcomed that team back from sure. winning. That it was amazing. Uh, TJ it. Lane getting off the bus. Yeah, the whole nine yards. Chilly, but Speaking, lovely. A little bit chilly. Yeah, not yeah, the coldest good. by any means, uh, but it was cold. Hey, speaking of TJ Lane, here's number four. December 8th, 2019, the Packers welcome back TJ Lang and Josh Sitton, and they announced them before the game. Right. And what happens on the field, but TJ Lang and Josh Sitton literally pull beers from inside their coat, smash them together like they're Stone Cold Steve Austin and sure. slam. And they weren't a Miller product, uh, oh. and it didn't go over well, but that was an amazing moment. Number three, John, you're going to have to help me tell the story. I'm certain you maybe remember. I don't know who was playing the Packers. I don't know what year it was. I searched, but there was a game that we won, and then somebody else had to lose in order for us to win the division. And while the game was going on, the press boxes yeah. turned their TVs, and we yep. all watched that team lose, and it was pandemonium then. Yep. Any idea when that was? Because I, but that was a top five moment for me. Uh, I, I don't. I remember it. it was the Arizona Cardinals, right? Me too. And did they have to beat the Vikings? I think it was the Vikings. Yeah. I I don't know who the Packers yeah. were playing, but it was the Cardinals and the Vikings. And if the Vikings yeah. lost and we won, we won the division. But just as yeah. the crowd, I mean, this was pre you know all these cell phones and you can right. watch TV wherever. So everybody turned the TV in the press box, yeah. and we all. It was really fun. Yeah, as really I recall, really yeah, as I recall, the Packers won fairly easily. They played yeah. a, they played a, they played a sort of a, a sisters of the poor. They took care of them, and then I believe probably the Lions, the Arizona Cardinals, took care of the uh, took care of the Vikings. Yeah, that was a, a really cool moment. All right, two more. My number two, July eighteenth, two thousand fifteen, middle of the summer. What could that be? Right, that was the day that Brett Favre got inducted, and his number was officially retired. And then they did it later at that Thanksgiving terrible weather game. But this was the day that Favre came back yeah. and they filled, fans filled the entire Lambeau field and Favre came out mm -hmm. and gave a speech with Lance Allen from TMJ4 Milwaukee. John, that was an yeah. unbelievable Lambeau moment, Packer moment. There were grown men crying, including myself. It was just neat to see Favre come back. Right. Uh, that was awesome. All right, Even here's my better number than one. the Shopco fireworks used to be in the middle of the summer. <laughs> it was hot that day, July 18th. It was crazy. All right, here's my number one. Yes. August 31st, 2017, it was a preseason game, and my okay. oldest son 
was the Nicolay water boy. He got to put that water jug on his back and run out of the Packers tunnel all the way to the 50 yard line and right. then over to mom and dad and buddy Jason, who were all hanging out on the sideline. I said, Rhodes, his name is Rhodey. I said, Rhodey, you have one job and it is not to face plant. That's it. So here's this little kid running like, please don't fall. Pretty amazing. He's been on parts of Lambeau Field that I will never touch and he'll <laughs> be able to forever meet that. All right, let's talk to Wayne. Shut up and sit down. Welcome back, Wisconsin. Trevor Thomas, John Anderson, and the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larvey. All right, Wayne, so I was asking some family and friends, what questions do I need to ask Wayne Larvey? We're talking to him here soon. And the one that I got on repeat over and over and over is you got to ask him where the dagger came from. Was it an accident? Did you plan it? Uh, and how long have you been doing it? And just tell us the dagger story, Wayne. Well, you know, I used to uh, broadcast the Chicago Bulls games on WGN TV all the time. And in the NBA, that term is uh, pretty common. Uh, you know, a game's going back and forth. It comes down to the wire. Uh, there are five seconds left. And all of a sudden, somebody hits a three-point field goal that makes it a two-score game. And you know there's not enough time left for the other team to catch up. They're not going to have enough possessions left in the game, and there's the dagger. So I did a, Chicago, a game in Chicago on a Saturday night. The next day we go up to – this is like 2000. The next day we go up to uh, Green Bay, and, and I'm broadcasting the Packers game. Um, and, you know, it's a back-and-forth game between the Packers and Ravens. And um, uh, the thing I remember about it was the Packers are leading by about two scores in its second half, its fourth quarter – about five minutes ago in the fourth quarter. And all of a sudden, Brett Favre connects with Bubba Franks on a touchdown pass in the south end zone that gave the Packers a three-score lead. And I, I said, and there is your dagger. And it just popped out. And um, I didn't think anything of it, and people latched onto it. And then when I didn't say it the next week, they said, where was the dagger? They didn't <laughs> Come on, man. Sure. Come on. You got to have a dagger here, don't you? <laughs> and uh, so it, it took on a life of its own. Love it. It's nice when it's organic like that, by the way. It's so nice to have that. It's very refreshing uh, when it comes through. Yeah. What else you got, Trevor? All right. So I'm also curious on this. John and I are talking about our top five Packer Lambo moments, whether we've been with the Packers or at Lambo, just those moments, not the games, but the moments. And I'm curious, what is your number one? Packer Lambeau moment. You know, you know, there are many great moments. Nick Collins uh, uh, intercepting uh, Jay Cutler in the final seconds to seal the win over the Bears on the last uh, day of the regular season in 2010. They got the Packers into the playoffs, including the earliest dagger ever, which happened with about seven minutes ago in the first half in a Monday night game over the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> and but. You know, I'm going to go back to the first game. Now, you said you were on the board for this, and I, I don't know if you would remember this, Trevor, but the Packers are playing John Gruden and the uh, the Oakland Raiders, the opener of the 1999 season. And it was my first game as the uh, voice of the Packers, uh, first regular season game. So we're up there, and, and my youngest son, Brian, is spotting for me. And my oldest son, who just was a freshman at the University of Wisconsin um, that year, uh, he was in the booth, too. It was my first game. It was our first game uh, at the Packers. And so, um, you know, the game ends in dramatic fashion. Brett Favre uh, throwing a touchdown pass. I believe it was to Jeff Thomason, of all people. 
to to win the ball game over the Raiders in in the final seconds. And as we're heading down on the elevator from the press box at the end of the game, and so everything's over, uh, my oldest son Scott turns to me and says, "Well, Dad, that's why we came here to see Brett Favre <laughs> on the stretch win a game at Lambeau Field like that." Yeah. All right, I'm not. Mine's are not nearly as in depth. I want to know crazy stuff. Uh, outside of Lambeau, give me the best booth uh, to go call a game from in the NFL. Uh, the best to call a game from in the NFL. Yeah. Oh, Good tight line, the whole thing. What do you like? There are so many bad ones. Um, <laughs> there really are. But actually, the Meadowlands in New Jersey is pretty good. Okay. Because you're high enough, and you're kind of toward the 50-yard line. Uh, the worst is Washington, D.C., and how the NFL okay. allows Daniel Snyder to get away with putting radio booths for national. I've done a number of that. I used to do a lot of Westwood One games there that Marv Albert wouldn't do because of the location of the booth. Right. A lot of uh, Westwood One Monday night games in Washington. But you're down to the first level. You're below the upper deck. Um, it's a horrible view uh, from the end zone. Uh, calling the game from there is difficult. I think the Meadowlands is still one of the best places uh -huh. to get the game from. Yeah. Where are you in Lambeau? We're about at the 45-yard line. We're up seven stories up, so, so it's a little high. Larry loves it because you can see the whole field. It's an all-22 uh, view <laughs> of the field. It's great. It's a little high for me, but not bad. I think, right. it's, I think it's great. I know – Lambeau Field is really good. I'll tell you the story about how we got to where we are. Um, they were going to put skyboxes in there and, um, you know, move the radio down around the 20-yard line or something like that. And um, Bob Harlan, in the middle of these plans going on, and, and the WTMJ people at the time, a guy by the name of Carl Mall and, and John Schweitzer, uh, he was the gen John was the general manager of WTMJ, and Carl was uh, heading up the radio network. And they said, you know, if you could um, – Maybe, you know, understand radio is kind of important here in Wisconsin. Now, Bob Harlan said, yeah, of course it is. So what he did was this was where Bob was going to have his booth. Bob moved down to where the radio booth was going to be oh, with wow. his booth, uh, which is the, the skybox for uh, the upper echelon people, you know, the CEO and president and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And he put us right next to where Ted Thompson and, and Ron Wolf and those people sit. Uh, and we're right next to the press box, but we're at the, about the 45-yard line. It's a great view of the game from there. And um, like I said, it's only a little high for me because now I've got to wear glasses and feel. <laughs> in other words, my eyes have gotten bad sure. in the last 20 years. So well, and it snows sometimes. Let's be it, honest. I think I think of you during that uh, Seattle Snow Bowl. We called it 2008, where uh, we were down 14 nothing. Grant fumbled a few times, and then. All hell break loose out of the out of the sky. I, I you must not have been able to see a thing. Yeah, it was hard. You know, you couldn't see the yard lines, that type of deal. But it was also wonderful because what was happening was amazing. You're right. They were down two Ryan Grant fumbles. Seattle's up fourteen nothing, and the Packers I think scored the next forty two points unanswered. Um, it was a tremendous victory that led to the NFC title game against the Giants um, in Lambeau Field. But uh, you know. It was a great moment. Those are th there were so many. We've been so blessed with a uh, you know to have a, a Brett Favre and that team, mm -hmm. and Aaron Rodgers and the team we've seen. Um, you know, it's been great. It really has. Uh, this is sort of weather related. Your flip chart. You laminate it. You don't laminate it. Uh, you know what? It's in a little laminated folder. Okay. So I flip it, pull it in and out. But yeah, very good. Uh, you go to dinner <laughs> on the road. The check comes. You pay it. Larry pays it, or you split it. Oh, we always pay each. We split it. 
Yeah. Okay, very good. Uh, true or false, you're going to be the best man at Aaron's wedding. <laughs> false. That's false. Okay, very good. Uh, and the last one, you kind of touched on this, but if you would, because as much as this is the on the Inside Wisconsin podcast, is there a great story from the 85 Bears that you can share? Oh, God, where do you begin? Um, and that's what I feared. So if that's the case, you know, if you just want to go, you know, run the film, we'll, we'll let you go with that, certainly. Well, you know what? Uh, Platteville. The Bears used to train. Training camp, yeah. I spent 14 summers in Platteville, Wisconsin, down in the southwest corner of the state. It was great. It was training camp. It was a small town. It was away from everything. And I'll never forget remembering uh, – um, you know, standing next to the bar in one of the downtown saloons on a Saturday night after the first week of camp. And here's Dan Hampton standing next to me, and he hated Jim McMahon. And he points over and he said, there's your quarterback. He's schlepping beers. He's working the uh, tap at this little, you know, this in Platteville, Wisconsin. But there are so many other stories I can't go much farther than that into. We'll leave it at that because that way we had the bear, but you leave it in Wisconsin, which is perfect. Uh, we will thank you for your time. I would tell you, uh, you mentioned it and it's true, whether it was Jim Irwin or to the kids today or the, you, you become the soundtrack uh, to those things. And as I work on SportsCenter, there's ever a big play, something significant. The first thing we do still is how do we get the radio call? Um, <laughs> It, 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 but it's true because you are the soundtrack and you are because you are in the city, you are recognized as the definitive voice. And um, the Packer fans are lucky to have you, as were the Bears and the Chiefs and all the other jobs that you have um, that you lend your voice to and your expertise and your calls. And we appreciate you joining us here today on Inside Wisconsin. Guys, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the kind words, John. They mean a lot coming from you and uh, I've followed you for many years, obviously, on ESPN and all. And uh, uh, it's been great, great being with you guys. I hope we get a chance to do this again, maybe closer to the season. Cheers, Wayne. Thanks a lot. Have a good one, guys. Thank you. Shut up and sit down. Uh, we need to make a pact that we shouldn't have guests on here who are better than us. Right? Like, I get, I mean, I get I'm a professional broadcaster. You've got every broadcasting um, studio. I mean, ESPN would be jealous of that. I think you're being shot in HD. Yeah, and then we, <laughs> then we forget, and we bring in the guy who's, like, really good and makes us both look like Jamokes. But, you know, yeah, that, that was happened. awesome. Uh, all right, so here's – are you ready for uh, this episode's John Wisconsin? John Wisconsin. I love it. So to start, because no fans all season, Yeah. and they the Packers start this season with their preseason kickoff. It aired on uh, all over um, uh, stations on linear TV and on the web – it was this kickoff weekend kickoff special yep. and they ask and they call and they said, John, could you host this? Right. Well, I surrender on the spot. And they said, but what we'll do is we'll make it. We, we don't want to take your time. We realize it's, it's valuable. And, and we want to show you that we're grateful. And so they, they are going to make a donation in my name to a charity or charities of my liking. Awesome deal. I'm ready to go. Done. Okay. So I do it. It's fantastic. Aaron Jones is on. He's terrific. Alan Lazard's on. They're great. The fireworks, the whole thing. Couldn't have been, couldn't have been more fun. Brett Favre's on. It's great. So now it's tax season, and I sent a little note to the Packers. I said, hey, do you have a little note that I could give to my accountant just about the, the donation you made in my name? I don't know that I can write it off, but I'd like to have it. Send it to him. We'll let him decide that. I get a note back from the Packers. And with their sincerest apologies, you're like, wow, this kind of slipped through the, 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 the cracks. 
Of course it is. They're trying to run a football team, right? They're not worried about yep. me. So anyway, year. anyway, so they do this and they're great and they're more than generous. But I get a note from them explaining this, but here's what they say. And I think is terrific. Um, it's just, well, it just will on behalf of the Packers, not the end of it. it says, yep. I suggest we make it up to you by getting you back to a game this season, signing you to a one day contract, and then putting you on the kick return team, knowing that it would likely be a touchback. What do you think? Okay, so here's what I think. I think I'm glad that the Packers made a donation in my name, and I want no part of being back there on the kickoff team. Even if at 55, I could put on the Packer uniform that seems pretty great. So I want to know from you, Trevor, and everybody who's listening and would like to, again, chime in, how much would that donation need to be before you go, okay, um, Nope. Keep the donation. I want to, I want to go ahead and run down the field. <laughs> right. Like if they said, listen, we're going to put $5,000 in your name. Would you go? Yes. That's a lot of good. Do it. If they said, I'm going to do $30,000 in your name. Would you say, yes, that's a lot of good. At what point do you go? Okay. Nope. You know what? I want to run down the field. Jeez. <laughs> and, would and you do it, whatever. Would you, would you go, listen, I'll give you them. I'll, I'll make the donation in my own name. Right. And I'll run down the field. So that's what you're asking, right? Would you say, no, go ahead and make the donation or, or, or I'll raise the money on my own. I'm putting the Packers uniform on. I want to go run. I'll handle the donation. You go, you know. And it's the kick return team. Just so we're clear, like you're the one catching the ball on a one day contract. So there is a chance they could look at you and go, Hmm, I don't remember the big six, eight guy wearing number, you know, what's your number? Probably 74, some big lug number. And they're like, I don't remember him being back there. Maybe we'll kick it to him. Oh man. It's going to hurt for days. Cause you know, would you you give the money? Would you give money or would you take the opportunity to be on the team? You have to be on the team once, right? Like if you, they just offered you a one day contract. How do you say, who says, I'm curious, who would say no to that? People like me with a good heart that said, no, let's give money to charity. That's who says that, Trevor. You could still get, you just told me you were going to donate the money yourself. I want to see in the comments, what would you do? The, the Packers are either going to give a donation to your charity of choice, or you're going to give the donation and they're going to sign you to a one day contract and you have to receive the opening kickoff. Yeah. What would you do? So I'm curious, how did you respond? Uh, I just, I just told him that that thanks. Uh, and I am, uh, I'm not quite that brave. Uh, <laughs> I am grateful and I appreciate that they helped out uh, awesome. Paul's pantry, the food bank there in green Bay. And then one, uh, my brother-in-law is uh, services in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, I think that's great too. The people in lion's country that the Packers were helping them out. Yeah, so I'm like, okay. please, I appreciate the donation. And uh, and while I may have talked a good game when I was 13 and reasonably <laughs> sure that like Steve Odom, I could return to kick uh, guaranteed. Now, no, no. We're past our prime. Got it. Past our prime. Well, hey, speaking of grateful, our thanks to Wayne Larrabee today for joining us here at Inside Wisconsin. And our thanks to all of you. We are blown away by how many views and how much of a following we've already been able to drum up on a conversation between John and I about, hey, you know what? Let's do a podcast together that do gives it. this 
state credit for its people and its stories. And you guys are showing up and sharing it and liking it and commenting and, and watching it. And we're grateful, man. Let's so keep telling the go, stories of Insta. Yeah, go ahead. Before we go, tell them where they can see us again, where they can reach us. Well, you can find us on all the social channels, right? So InsideWisconsin.com, that's where everything lives. You can get to YouTube, to Facebook, to Twitter, to Instagram. You can also see how you can contact John and I uh, with any ideas or any feedback or yeah. anything else. Be safe, my friend. Be good. Adios, John. Great to see, see you. In the next as- see them all in the next edition. You got it. As you were, Wisconsin. Shut up and sit down.